Hey everybody, this is your host Javier and Daniel and you're listening to the Brown Sound Podcast. We're just two brown best amigos talking about everything and anything through a Latino and indigenous perspective. In this podcast, expect some tears, joy, and definitely laughter. Imagine you sitting around a table with your best friends but sober. Or you can have a drink too because we don't judge. Well... And we're back after a short little break because of Thanksgiving. <laughs> Brown Sound Season 3, Episode 9. What is going on, Daniel? What's up? What's up, everyone? Um, we are back again. This is actually our first in-person recording. This is, yeah. We're live in person, yeah. <laughs> we are uh, here in the in the streets of Caldwell, I think. <laughs> we're or... actually in Nampa, oh. but yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Um, Nampa and Caldwell have grown so much that you can't really like tell anyone Anymore, Nampo. where one ends and one, where, yeah, where one starts. We call it Nampwell now. It's yeah. definitely not Namponian or whatever oh, Junior, Junior was trying to say. Yeah, Nampelite yeah, Nampelite. Nampelite. yeah. Um, no, Chikex, what's been going on with you? Did you have you a good uh, Thanksgiving break? Yeah, I mean, I always love when I have days off from work. Um, but you know, I just hung out at the fa- with the fam. Didn't do much. Yeah. Um, just coming off a fun little keynote speech the other day. Yeah, with, uh, you just did that. With the College of Western Idaho. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, so shout out to CWI for inviting me back and to share a little bit about my culture and, and my experience. That was that was cool. Yeah. Um, wrapping up Native American Heritage Month. Uh, hopefully people don't just use this month to, like, remember us. Though. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's every it's every month for us. No, but, yeah. It's been it's been a good good last like what week and a half. Or yeah, so. and I and I wanted to echo that I think it's so important that institutions and even just the community at large are recognizing that there's importance to be held in honoring the first people here in the U.S. Um, but aside from that, also putting into context what a holiday like Thanksgiving actually oh, means yeah. to folks of your community. Um, where we're all taught, be thankful and be together and be in community and <laughs> yeah. enjoy the food. Um, I can't imagine what it's reminding your like your community of. Um, so I imagine there's like you know yeah. themes for genocide and historical yeah, trauma. Of, yeah, there's a lot of people who um, have their different thoughts of of Thanksgiving and stuff like that. But for yeah. me personally, I mean, I I, under, I understand the history of it and I know you know where I come from and stuff. But I just like the day off from work really. yeah you're like <laughs> that's where i'm at just enjoying the days, the off, days two off days off from work I'll, I'll take it yeah no um actually chikex i'm excited for this episode because we have our first guest uh in the month of december and it's you know we're getting close <laughs> to wrapping up the year but this particular person is someone that i've worked with before and has uh been like my boss's boss so you know he's kind of uh helped uh shape and guide me in in my career uh, through feedback but one of the other things too is um I talked about him in one of the episodes because I, as you know, I just transitioned. Well, not just, but like yeah. a few months ago, I transitioned into a new role. I was uh, doing a couple positions and I was just exhausted. I ran into him at Costco with his wife and I was there with my oh, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I happened to um, to do an introduction. And so mm-hmm. I said, hey, this is Luis and this is his wife, Sylvia, uh, to my brother, Eduardo. Um 
No, actually, so I said Eduardo first, and then I said, this is Luis, and this is my ex-wife, Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw her in his face, and I was like, no, I don't have an ex-wife. <laughs> like, that's his wife. That's uh, I clearly, it was an, an indicator of how, like, how exhausted I was. But anyways, um, no one took offense, <laughs> I hope, or he'll tell us here in a little bit. But no, the guest we have today is Luis Caloca, who is a dean of student success at an institution here in the area. And, you know, uh, just someone that has been doing a lot, is well known. He's kind of like the who's who's of, you know, this the Treasure Valley, because just seriously, everybody knows him. But uh, without further ado, could we get a brown sound welcome Ooh. for Luis Caloca? Hey, Luis. Hey. Uh, my ex-wife says hi, by the way. I had to <laughs> tell her that I was doing this episode. <laughs> uh, I'm so mortified. <laughs> I've uh, told that story quite a few times, Javi. You have me. to who? Oh, oh, man, all my family members. I'm like, oh, if you only knew the things that happened, right? <laughs> but, you know, and uh, it's kind of funny, too, that, that you said that everybody knows me because I went to this comedy show the other day. I went to see John Mulaney in Boise. Oh, I love John Mulaney. Oh, he, you know, it's funny. I didn't realize who he was, and I just went because my little sister invited me, and, and when we get out there, yeah. you know, there's somebody that kind of flags us down in the parking lot as we're leaving uh, and they luckily because of them we're able to actually back up and get out because you know how oh, it always okay. is trying to get out of those places use and, your connections <laughs> oh yeah, well, yeah that, my sister's like oh you know everybody i'm like that's not true this yeah. is random <laughs> circumstance i'm like let's go to old chicago though you know let's go have a, a late meal and just hang out before we head home we get to old chicago and i <laughs> I see somebody else that I know, and we give the hugs, and she just looks at me. I'm like, don't you dare say it. <laughs> you got a free meal. Got... <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. Um, Luis, so, yeah, can you share a little bit on yourself? Like, who are you? What do you do? What have, you know? Yeah, so, uh, well, I was born and raised in Idaho. You know, we were started out here in Wilder, right? And if you're familiar with Wilder, yeah, uh, gosh, I mean, it's still just a, a significant Hispanic population out there. And that's exactly what it was like when I was growing up out there. Uh, I went out there into about the second grade uh, before I transitioned wow. out to the Valley View School District. And that's where I ended up graduating from. Went to Boise State, so girl Broncos. Uh, <laughs> you're one of the... <laughs> you know, I had to throw uh, that in there. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I feel like people need to do that when they can. <laughs> uh, that's right. Well, you know, I mean, working in higher ed, I mean, you know how it is, Javi. Yeah, I we, do, I do. We, we, we root for our, our alma mater, but at the same time, we always do our best to make sure a student finds the right fit. Absolutely. Luis, and actually, if you don't mind me uh, tangenting off a little bit, funny story, we were downtown Boise with a bunch of our friends, including Luis, and I just want to, I'm a proud Mandel, Daniel, oh, from the no. University of Idaho, so we're in downtown. <laughs> And uh, we had a bunch of Mandels with us, and we said, you know what? There's just a lot of Mandel pride. Let's just do the chant, the Mandel fight song, Daniel. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we did, and freaking randos in the street were like, I did. <laughs> Joe yelling back. That's true. So we're like, Luis, you do the Bronco thing. Like, we want to see that too. <laughs> I did. So I'm like, boysy. Crickets. Crickets. Like, it was the most ridiculous thing. Downtown Boise, Daniel. <laughs> it was so funny. And then he did the vandal chant. And then he got, he got the call back again. 
<laughs> it was awesome. Sorry. So, anyways, yes. No, yeah. No, no disrespect yeah. to the Bronco folks, but right, right. No, yeah. The community <laughs> was not out in force that day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, yeah, I, I went to Boise State, graduated from there, um, and you know, it really ended up having to work full time because my my experience wasn't necessarily a good one. Uh, I was one of those folks that you know, even as a as a late high school student, early college student was super yeah. involved. Um, a, a lot of folks don't necessarily know that not only was I involved in a student organization on campus at Boise State, but I was a club officer for a student organization at another college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous, right? College I mean, attend. Uh, I don't know, I'm probably one of few, uh, but just, you know, way too involved. And that was actually to my detriment because I ended up failing out my first year. Uh, I think I had a 1.6 GPA Oh wow! Um, I tell that story when I talk to students because I'm like, you know, that that first F in the FAFSA, it stands for free. But you know, people always say in the world, right? There's nothing in this world is really for free. So there are certain expectations when you get that aid, and I didn't meet those expectations <laughs> and lost it all. Uh, so I, yeah, I ended up having to work full time to put myself through school immediately after that, and wow. somehow it worked out. Um, yeah. And I worked two jobs after I graduated, so I was working full time at the call center that put me through school, and then uh, was actually working part time for the the college assistance migrant program, and that's really what ended up kind of putting higher education as a possible opportunity for a career on my good map um and it worked out i mean i was able to pay off my student loans uh really quickly with those two jobs and ended up transitioning into a full-time position not to uh well actually i guess it was four years after it doesn't seem like that long now but yeah i started working full-time for the college assistant migrant program uh, no, actually, uh, I transitioned into a full-time position for the tech college there at Boise State uh, back okay. when back when they did that sort of thing. Yeah, no, we, I love camp. I'm a product of the camp program at the University of Idaho. I've given a couple shout outs to uh, the folks out there because yeah. yeah, without them, I, you know, would have had similar experiences of not, not doing well my first year. And ultimately that could have probably made me go back home too and uh, you know, not keep at it. So love camp and everything that they do. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, shout out to camp. A lot of my good friends we're in camp. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were next door. The Native Center is yeah. right across the hall. At but. the University of Idaho, uh, there we have like a house uh, in the middle of campus, and half of it is camp, dedicated to camp services, and half is to the Na- Native American Student Center. So a lot of our Latino and indigenous folks get to kind of be in community in that way over there. So Yeah, I've been in that building. You have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of folks don't necessarily realize that I was, am. Um, I think they still meet, but... Uh, I used to be heavily involved in the University of Idaho's Latino Advisory Committee. So, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. Good times. What yeah. haven't you done, Luis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. There's still a lot out there for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you graduated college. You got a job with uh, uh, technical, what was it? The ITD? No, no. So I was working at Boise State. But, yeah, oh, got it. Working <laughs> to the tech program. ITT tech. Right. No, no, no. Yeah, ITT tech's no longer in business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll speak. We'll actually probably end up speaking a little bit to ITT Tech here in a bit. Okay. Yeah, I do have a story yeah. about that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, th- that's pretty much it, I guess. I started right career in higher ed and have been slowly working on uh, continuing to, to move up the ladder uh, through just some of the work that I do, um, obtaining more education. Mm-hmm. I did end up going back into graduate school when I started uh, working at Boise State. That tuition benefit is just something that you really you have to leverage yeah. it. Uh, you know, that you, you can't beat that that tuition benefit where you're just paying pennies 
pennies on the dollar for graduate yes. education. No, absolutely. Um, so would we say then that from then on, um, all your experience has been in higher education? Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. And... Luis, let me ask you, because Daniel and I had an episode on imposter syndrome and feeling at odds with, like, you know, the opportunities that we have, the positions that we take, because a lot of the times, especially as men of color, we're the only ones in those spaces. Um, And so as you've advanced in your career and taken on these roles, um, has that been your experience? Are you, do you see folks like you in those leadership spots? Um, And then, and then as a second parter, um, because you're one of those Latino leaders now in those kind of roles and spots. Uh, what are some ways that you're kind of helping like with the newer folks that are coming in that that are like you? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I would say that I've probably had that type of lived experience since the beginning. Uh, you know, I had mentioned that I, I grew up uh, at least for the first few years of my education in Wilder. Um, yeah. And in Wilder, um, I'm not sure what the population is today, but you know, I mentioned it's significantly Hispanic. Uh, we're talking probably 80 per plus percent, 90 yeah. percent. Uh, and it was like that when I was there. Um, so then when I transitioned over to the Valley View district, Valley View was nothing like that. It was the complete opposite. Uh, in second grade, I was one of four, I think, Hispanic kids. Wow. Um, so, right, going in and being in a class where everyone's Hispanic and then going to there's no one there. Um, it was very different for me. Um, so it was a really big culture shock. And I, I kind of um, withdrew in a sense where it was just really difficult for me to talk to folks because Spanish had been my primary language, right? So you, you go from speaking Spanish all the time to like, no one even knows Spanish anymore. Uh, yeah, it was just, I was, I became <laughs> a, a quiet kid. Like it's my, it's like my personality changed. Cause I used to always just be out on the playground and pulling girls hair and all this stuff in, in Wilder. And then uh, at Valley View, like I didn't even want to play with anybody, like because I couldn't talk to anybody. No one wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I just like <laughs> sit in a corner on the playground and just kind of like keep to myself. Um, and it was it was really interesting because that particular experience and the teacher in that class had a an impact on me that lasted a lifetime uh, because I I did end up kind of becoming so reserved and withdrawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used books to escape. Um, a really funny story about that is the um those scholastic flyers i think it's oh, scholastic yeah. right that they would give away so you can buy books uh, the teacher would send those home with me and i think after the third fourth time i brought it back and i told her i'm like yeah we don't need these like we can't afford these books <laughs> they're too expensive <laughs> <laughs> and and it was the funniest thing she comes back and she's like oh i don't think you saw this this section right here so on the back page the bottom quarter maybe bottom half of that flyer had these 50 cent books she's like oh you'll you can afford those 50 cent books <laughs> so she, said, she sends me off with another flyer and i remember sitting down with my dad and oh hey the teacher said these these 50 cent books can you get me a book uh, and you know there are some things that you never realize as a kid yep. that later on when you grow up and you start talking about these experiences you you come to realize the why uh, of why certain things did or didn't happen. And um, I didn't find out until much later that we couldn't even, I, well, obviously I knew we couldn't afford that book when my dad told me I can't get you this 50 cent book. But I'm like, even I thought at the time, well, 50 cents, who the heck can't afford 50 cents? And uh, what I didn't realize is that 
that particular um, experience happened during the winter. And my dad oh, was a farm worker, yeah, right? He worked yeah. in the fields and there was no work at that time in the fields. Yeah. So we were living off food stamps and food stamps, you can buy food, right? But yeah. they don't take food stamps in the schools to buy your food <laughs> or buy <laughs> yeah. books. You know what I mean? Like it, and I didn't know that, but you know, so he comes no. back and he tells me like, we don't have money for this. And I go back to the school and I told my teacher and I mean, it, it was kind of cool in that she came back and, and made this deal with me where she's like, I have this library of books here in this classroom. She's like, for every book that you read, if you write me a book report on what you learned and just what the book's about, I will buy you a book from these scholastic flyers. Oh, cool. And, uh, uh, well, it, it was cool for me. I got so many dang books. <laughs> she ended up coming back to me and saying, I can't afford to buy you books anymore. <laughs> but, but it was so cool because it, 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 it was kind of like killing two birds with one stone in that not only was I able to find an escape from this lived experience as I, it gave me time to kind of get accustomed uh, to, to being the only Hispanic in, in my classroom. But at the same time, it helped me improve my English language skills, yeah. right? Because now I was doing all all this reading and, and just you know getting a better sense of grammar syntax and it also helped me establish a love of reading that really was I didn't realize at the time was or is one of my keys to success today uh, especially when I started transitioning on into graduate level education absolutely um, Daniel had this joke about um, I, I don't know how to phrase it without it sounding weird but when we're in our communities we have a certain way of speaking and when you enter spaces that you're unfamiliar with particularly like in higher education, um, you kind of have to code switch. And so oh, yeah. then we call it our professional voice, but we also <laughs> call it our white voice uh, because <laughs> when you enter the spaces, you, you're kind of on it because you don't want people to think that you're, and, and I don't know why people feel this, but this is a stereotype. If you have an accent, if you can't phrase things in the right way or use the right buzzwords, people think you're not intelligent. So as people of color, I, I mean, especially for me, I won't speak for anybody else, but I have, I feel like I need to turn that on so people don't think that I'm not worthy or not smart enough or not appropriate enough to be in the space that I'm entering. And so you saying that brings me back to me growing up too, because that was one of the things that I also struggled <clears throat> with in that my family was low income. When we would do vocab reviews, I would always get all the words wrong because I didn't have a dictionary or parents who spoke English. Um, and then when my teacher found out, she knew that I, after we reviewed the words and um, I would write down the definitions, I would get them. They would click fast for me. And so she ended up gifting me a dictionary. That's part of my story growing up um, because I didn't know that I could ask for that either just because family was was you know, low income. And Daniel and I had an episode about that too, Luis. We should have invited you to that because you're like, <laughs> man, you know the struggle being on food stamps, being low income, um, your friends and peers having stuff that you don't have access to and people wondering why you don't have it. It's like, well, we just can't and we don't know any better until people let you know that, you know, you don't realize you're poor until people let you know otherwise. Um, and that that's definitely part of my experience too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, kind of speaking on community, you know, for me, my communities, I really big in like everything that I do I always try to represent my community in, in the best way that I can and also I mean it's also kind of like it puts a lot of pressure on me too but um, how has your community inspired you to do like the work that you're doing now? Uh, I would say a lot of that probably has to do with uh, just maybe the way that I grew up. I remember being in, in camp and 
it it was probably one of the first times where I felt I had an opportunity to figure out who I was as a Latino. And just because, to clarify, Luis, a camp, the College Assistant Migrant Program, not actually like summer camp or... Correct. Right. Like yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes, okay. Camp program at Boise State. Yeah. Because, you know, it's... In that program, uh, there's just so many Latinos and just the college experience in particular is so different because you actually start to learn a little bit about your history, right? And where your place is in, in the world. Uh, and that's not something that you talk about when you're going through primary and secondary education, right? So it was just so different to, to come in and, and be able to start taking some like Mexican-American uh, history and just know, oh, wow, you know, like I had never really thought about the fact that a third of the U.S. used to be Mexico at one time and, you know, what did happen to, to the those folks and where where are they today? Um, yeah. And it, it almost, in a sense, I think, starts to generate a sense of pride uh, in your identity. Whereas, you know, me growing up in in Valview, it was really difficult to to find that uh, because uh, I was, you know, I felt kind of like an outsider, like I never really belonged. Um, and and having this really strong uh, kind of like mini Latino community through the camp program, uh, it, it just it was an opportunity I'd never had before, and that's where I felt that I I kind of started to pick up even uh, better Spanish skills because I had started to lose that by the end of my high school years <laughs> even though I right, like hardly even knew any like English coming in um I was a big time bocho could hardly speak the language but I started taking some Spanish classes there in college and gaining yeah. a much stronger um basically just a, a much stronger uh, verbal uh, Spanish ability uh, that I had been losing and yeah just that's probably the best way to phrase it is that 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 is the place where I gained pride in who I was as a Latino which is weird because your Spanish is legit so they he's not sharing this but he does a lot of the recordings for the local Spanish radio. So when you hear a lot of the commercials they use, he's the one who's on there speaking. Uh, <laughs> and he does the PSAs too for uh, the college that he works in. So um, yeah, he's he does that. He has and he has that voice. Um, and he's also a singer, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't say that just because you grab a mic at a karaoke bar. <laughs> I do hold my own. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So does Daniel. Daniel's a good singer. We kept, wow. I kept joking because we went to watch the Wakanda Forever again, and the song Lift Me Up by Rihanna came on. I was telling Javier, I was like, yeah, at my funeral, make sure the song is played. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll sing it. I was like, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> make sure it's played. You don't want everybody to walk out. It's going to be a karaoke at my funeral. <laughs> You're going to play that song and make knowing, everybody cry. Knowing the type of person Daniel is, he'd like wake up and be like, hey, knock it off. And then <laughs> go back to sleep. <laughs> no, that's funny. Um, and, you know, Luis, to kind of continue the conversation, what have been some of the, like, challenges that you have navigated um, in your journey? You know, things that you've, like, kind of noticed about your experience from, as a, from a Latino perspective. Well, you know, I'm currently pursuing my doctorate, and my dissertation involves, or will involve, I'm not working on it yet, but I'm setting a lot of the groundwork now. And what I decided to study was the impacts of lived experiences on uh, Latino men, uh, administrators in higher education. Wow. So I've actually spoken to a couple of uh, folks as I'm starting to lay out the, the groundwork for this project. And it's really interesting to see that a lot of their experiences mirror mine. Yeah. Um, so it, it is one where all, all of us have kind of felt that we need to work harder than everybody else because we are like the one, the only one, one of two, maybe three, if you're lucky, yeah. uh, folks of color uh, that, uh, that are in leadership. And 
And it, it, it comes with this sense of responsibility because not only are you kind of representing yourself in these environments, but you're also, in a sense, representing the larger community because you might be the only the only person that folks that are not of color interact with in this sort of environment. Yeah, so absolutely. You, you're kind of, you're setting the example. And, you know, I think that earlier you had mentioned, um, you, you didn't use this word, but you it, you were kind of alluding to, to microaggressions, right? Where, where kind of folks look at you and they, they either think like you don't belong or, you know, you mentioned that that accent, right? And that because of that accent, you're not intelligent. Uh, so, you know, folks don't necessarily have a lot of experiences with uh, people of, of color when the those folks of color are the minority and you hardly ever see them around unless uh, you, you see them out in the fields or these other environments, right? You don't come across yeah. a lot of Latino professionals uh, unless you make the effort to to go out and reach into these, these circles. Uh, you know, I... I've mentioned this before uh, in a presentation that I, I remember you were in the crowd where I spoke to um, social identity theory, which basically means that people tend to gravitate towards those folks that are most like themselves. Yeah. So, you know, as a Latino, I have a lot of people that are in my Latino social circle, right? So even even I, I think at times have to work uh, so that I have non-Latinos within my social circles, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and it's the same thing for other folks that are, you know, not of color. They have very few folks of color in their circles so not a lot of interactions and experiences right yes. so uh, I think that's also partly why we tend to you know we tend to go out to a winery and when people you tell folks that you work at a college they think that you're the groundskeeper and stuff <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so I mean, yeah, things like that happen all the time, and 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 those those ideas are constantly going through your head, right? And, and they constantly go through through your head because you are constantly reminded as you go about your daily uh, tasks, living your life, that that folks see you in a certain light, yep. uh, right? So. I mean, just just having that in the back of your head every day, uh, you're always feeling like, okay, I need to show everyone out mm -hmm. there that is that doesn't look like me that, yeah, we can be professional, that yes, we add value, we have talents mm -hmm. and, and skills and capital that is not, people never realize what we have to offer, right? right. So, so yeah, we do, I feel, have to try harder than everyone else to show uh, what we can bring to the table. Right, yeah, and I think that's, that's really important too because it kind of comes down to like the representation that we see in these spaces you know and I know for me um, I'm very big on trying to like highlight like the indigenous representation that that we're finally starting to see you know in film and the fashion world and music and things like that. Um, for when it comes to representation, though, I, I think it's very important. And uh, I had a question. What does, like, representation mean to you as, you know, someone who's working in higher education and having students that you work with come from, you know, similar backgrounds? Like, do you think that's, uh, like, one of your priorities to have, like, you know, maybe more, you know, representation in, in your workspace? I would say so, Daniel. I I think uh, probably because of, yeah, how I grew up and um, oftentimes being yeah, one of one of few folks uh, that come from a marginalized background. I do tend to keep an eye out for those sorts of. I tend to keep an eye out for things that I think will make an impact for someone based on their background or identity. Uh, not just for say Latino students, but I was also the one that went into our student information system to create a a series of of triggers that would better help our veteran student navigate applying for their benefits. Uh, 
so I think that that's a really good concrete example of how I've just tried to be more mindful of, of how a background tends to impact uh, the student experience coming to my institution. Um, I, I really just try to look at even say like visually impaired students uh, when we're creating our HTML communication. Uh, that's always in the back of my mind I'm like, oh yeah, we need to remember that we need to include that alternate text for these pictures that we're throwing in, right? So that these readers can identify what the pictures are about. Um, it's just always there, uh, I think, yeah. um, like females. And, and Javi knows this, that I it really bothers me when people say the word manpower. Like, I, I'll always call that out in a meeting and like, staff, we're going to staff that, right? We don't need manpower, we need staff. <laughs> yeah. So it's just always on my mind and it translates to how I carry out my work every day. I have I have a couple questions for you, Luis, about you're now in an administrator role, or you have been for a while, but now even as in the level of a dean, that's that's pretty high. And so what is some advice from your perspective to non-BIPOC, so uh, Black, Indigenous people, you know, person of color, administrators, for how they can support their staff that would identify as such? What are um, things that they can, what kind of environments or spaces can they create for those type of employees to thrive um, in the workplace? I think it can be really difficult to create a space if you have, uh, I think, maybe no idea how the present space impacts uh, yeah. folks of color. Uh, so I think number one is just asking, asking your folks, hey, tell me. Tell me about your lived experience and how does that differ from mine? Uh, tell me about like what you experience when you're going into these meetings and perhaps being the only person of color. Um, as a leader, right, we, we do have uh, a lot of power. And, and that's something that I recognize that even though I'm a Latino, I'm also a man. And, and in this patriarchal society, that means something. And there are yeah. perhaps certain circles where I can perhaps push using that uh, particular identity. Um, so just uh, asking folks for feedback, right? Those folks that you that tend not to speak up perhaps because they don't feel comfortable speaking up, like how can we get them to uh, perhaps offer their, their wisdom when it's not actively being solicited by others? Uh, and, and I think that you've seen that, Javi. I mean, knowing um, working in, in my department, uh, I, I'm I would hope that you would have noticed that there are often, um, there have been many occasions where I have come back to folks and been like, all right, like this is what we're being asked. And if I have time, I don't immediately respond to those requests or those decisions. Uh, I always come back to my team, right? And I ask the team and I encourage the team to ask their teams, right? Like, all right, this is what we're being asked to do. Get some feedback. Like, how should how should we move forward on this? Yeah. Um, because I'm one person and my perspective, uh, even though I think I have, you know, a ton of experience in this profession, my perspective is still very limited. Uh, so when I get all these other folks to look at it and our team has tended to be one of the most diverse teams. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of Latinos and Latinas. We have a lot of females. Uh, we, we have some LGBTQ plus members on our team, right? So all yeah. these folks weighing in, uh, I think just really tends to create a much better experience for students of all backgrounds that are coming to our institution. Uh, and that's something I greatly value. Yeah, I would echo your sentiment about that. It's really 
working in the when we worked together working in a division like like that that was so diverse particularly my team my immediate team uh being able to work with a lot of folks that look like me that was empowering at the same time though i remember hearing feedback like well you know they only hire the latinos there and i took some resentment about that because um if you look at other teams um and for people who said that i'm like well you only hire white people on your team so what does that say to your logic uh but but also it diminishes the credibility or the, again, that piece of like, are we hiring the most qualified people? Yes, yes we are. And they just happen to be Latino. And so, um, I don't know, th those are things that, again, like we still like have to navigate, I guess, in higher ed. Uh, I do recognize the fact that I got to work with an almost full Latino team um, at one point. That's probably not an experience I will ever have again. <laughs> and that's not good or bad. Um, that's just, you know, in that particular time, it, it was just a very unique experience. But it was really nice for me not to have to worry about whenever I, and this is for our non-Latino friends that are listening, um, anytime that I'm engaging with anybody, I always come from this mindset of like, are they going to understand my cultural values? Or are they going to understand the cultural nuances that are going to come into the things that I'm about to speak on? And uh, sometimes that worries me because I'm like, are they going to receive that bad if I say something in the wrong way? Well, uh, or I worry too much about they won't understand because they're not of my culture. So if I say this, it probably won't land well or I, I'll probably have to explain it. I'm just not going to bother with it now. Um, and it was kind of nice to be in community with folks that I didn't have to think about those things in the back of my head as I was engaging in the work. Um, and so that's it's not good or bad. And it's I'm not saying that that's the environment I prefer, but it was it was nice to not have to worry about those things, I guess is what I'm getting at, no. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, so Luis, let me, let, let's ask another question <laughs> for you. What kind of advice would you give to um, the youth, someone who's interested in pursuing higher education as a career path, um, maybe following your steps, maybe following others? What are some things you would say about persisting or in, not necessarily enduring, but, um, you know, some encouraging thoughts, I guess, on continuing yeah. um, and, 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 you know, push, push through that discomfort. I would think that the number one piece of advice I could offer is to find a mentor. And that's something that I'm actually, I, I've been coming across as I've been starting to conduct research for my, my research project and for my dissertation. Uh, there's a lot of literature out there from the Latina perspective, but there tends to be a lot of overlap between what I'm finding and all of their findings in that they think um, a mentor is one of the best ways to help navigate these spaces that tend to be dominated by other folks, right? Folks that don't really look like us. Uh, and, and sometimes you need just that helping hand to figure out how to approach uh, a situation. And you're not gonna find that mentor within your present space often. Uh, yeah. That's really what I'm coming across as I look at all these studies and even the folks that I've talked to uh, and I've started to conduct interviews on my own. Uh, so I would say just find somebody. Uh, it could have been that recruiter that initially approached you about entering higher education, uh, perhaps other folks that you start to come across, but it's gonna take a lot of work sometimes to find that mentor. Like, I don't mind being approached. Yeah. Uh, Javi, you and I know I've had some conversations. I've had some conversations with other folks. Uh, yep. and, and that's something that I feel is also part of, of my role as a person that is presently in this space, uh, that I need to help others. And that's probably, I think, why I'm so involved in the community as well, 
Uh, for me, it's just not enough that I made it. I need to make sure that others make it. And yeah. I think the thing that worries me the most right now uh, about where I'm at is who's going to take over for me when I leave because I'm not going to be here forever. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things that I was discussing very recently with my mentor who also works in higher education is what kind of succession plan are we developing and, and who are we coaching up to kind of continue a lot of the good work that we've done because yeah. we know uh, at least, you know, it's my estimation that when I leave, uh, if there's no one else that has that same perspective, a lot of the work that we've done is going to unravel. Yep. We move back. Mm -hmm. We move back. Very, very true. Yeah. I'm all <laughs> dang. Make us all, put, it, put us all in our field. <laughs> the future is not gloomy. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm. Yeah, that's definitely good, though. I always think about that one. Like, I mean, obviously, like I saw some times before I retire, but, but like I always think about that. Like, who's going to take over after I'm done, you know, with mm -hmm. my job or with whatever we do with the radio station? I know for me, it's important to like help because like, what I've been experiencing lately is there's a lot of interest in radio and in media within my own community, which I didn't know because it's basketball is like a huge thing where I'm from. So we actually have like a broadcasting class at uh, the Lapway High School now. And so I got to like meet with them last year and got to like, you know, show them what I do at work and stuff. And that was really cool. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that these kids were like interested in the same kind of stuff that I, you know, that I do. And so yeah. that was cool. And I always think about that all the time. Like, who would I like be comfortable leaving this position with? You know, because yeah. I, I think about that all the time, not just because like for retirement, but like for my own personal journey. Like I do, you know, plan to leave the res you know, eventually and just live off res for, I don't know, maybe a couple of years or yeah. something just to get an experience to just, um, I'm really trying to move to Florida. <laughs> I'm tired of Idaho yeah. winters. I'm tired of the cold, but no, yeah. I, I think about that all the time though, about like, you know, when one door opens, you know, for one of us, it's usually helps the people coming up after us, you know, to get those same opportunities or even more. Yeah. Um, well, I will say that I have thought about that before. Um, and the mindset that I that I'm coming at in approaching that is I we need to take up our space. And yeah. so I know that like I've had some reservations and I, and I talked about too about like even just my own mental health and working on that. But um, walking into this new role, I I did have some anxiety. And now that I'm getting more confident in it, I'm definitely taking up my space. I need people to know that I'm there. And when we're having conversations about things, I insert myself um, from kind of that cultural lens in a way that's that's fun, but also informative. Um, we were talking about, at, with my new team, we were talking about uh, tacos and how much we like them. And I said, yes, I absolutely love tacos, but I have some, like, I have some concerns with the way that the mainstream media has taken my my what what for me is a taco and labeled it a street taco and instead now crunchy tacos are tacos and I'm like no this is my tacos didn't have cheese um and also we don't need the qualifier we're not street tacos um and so it was funny because the team took it and they and they they're laughing with me because that's a trigger but I'm like don't get me wrong because someone was like but Javi I you know for me I need to have cheese on my tacos and I'm like well I enjoy a good taco with cheese too but but um, what I'm getting at is, like, my taco needs to not be the other taco. My taco is the main taco. And you can call everything else a crunchy taco if you want. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't put the qualifier on mine. Um, and so, but that's that's a fun way that I've been able to kind of 
you know, it seems dumb and it seems minimal, but it's little things like that where I'm taking up my space in my team um, to kind of show that, you know, I have that perspective or that need or that that funny little quirk, I guess, about that thing. Um, and then also being very visible with my close friend circle, my my former colleagues from my previous team to say, these are what my experiences are. I was very open about having anxiety. I was very open about, um, you know, being exhausted, um, having a panic attack that eventually led to me having uh, seeking therapy. But um, that's not to say that I can't do that job. Those are just my own insecurities building up in a way that I am not able to kind of address that energy. Um, and so what I'm getting at is, you know, I was able to push through that and now I'm in a better place. And you can do that too when you're ready to move on. And also, if you need some support, I'm happy to provide any kind of insight that I have um, into helping you get there. And so it's, it's opening up your space, but also telling everybody else, like, yeah, it may be a little challenging, but you can get here too. And I, I know I'm, I'm trying my best to, to live that authentically um, and also be as transparent as I can because I want to make that transition for anybody behind me easier, if that makes sense. But I'm, I'm definitely coming from that kind of mindset for the work. And I'm not anywhere near Louise, so goals. Uh, <laughs> but one day, yeah, we can we can get there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think that's a good way to, to wrap up the that part of the, the episode um any last thoughts on on what we've just discussed um no i just i just want to say thanks you know for coming on to the the podcast and sharing your experience i think that's uh really cool and very important for people to listen and, and hear our hear our stories and stuff mm -hmm. like that so definitely thank you for your time yep um and luis didn't touch on it too much um but i i do want to point out some things about him so he's been able to build up um support a team to build up uh services for latino students um he's been able to help start scholarship support programs for them with retention services he's been able to connect with the community for like scholarship support. Um, he does presentations, he does uh, conferences for like healthcare and like IT kind of stuff um, and more probably. I, I don't know everything that you're involved in, but th those are the kind of people that are active, like Luis, that are actively working to uplift the community. So it's important that people know know that because, you know, if you want to get involved, if you want to connect in some way, if you want to learn more about higher education, there is people out there actively working to provide those opportunities for folks that otherwise would not have them as easily. So that's something I needed to, sh to, to share and say. Um, yeah, thank you, Abby. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, switch gears here, Luis, and if you'll indulge us, we like to do something called our brown... Noises language <laughs> yeah, lesson. Yeah. I don't remember what we call it. Brown sound. The sound that comes from brown people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll pick a phrase, and Daniel will, will share in his uh, native tongue, uh, Nimipu Tempt, uh, how to say it, and then I will share in Spanish. Uh, and so we'll all practice saying it. Is that cool? Sounds good to me. All right. All right. So today's phrase that I'm going to teach you both and the listeners is, where's the bathroom? You know, I feel like that's uh, it's a very, very practical. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, yeah. it's an, always important to know where the nearest toilet is. Yeah. <laughs> so how to say, where's the bathroom in Nimi Putim, the Nespers language is, Minahiwis Atenwas. All right. Do you want to repeat that one more time for Louise? Because we always let our guests go. Minahiwis Atenwas. Minihiwas Atenwas? Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Okay. okay. <laughs> Here, let me roll up my sleeves here. Yeah. <laughs> my turn. <laughs> okay, can you repeat it one more time? Minahiwas Atenwas. Minahiwas Atenwas. Yep, where is the bathroom? Yeah. Who did it better, me or Lisa? <laughs> 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 no, nah, I'm just kidding. Um, it's not a contest. Um, <laughs> clearly, I'm not competitive. Uh, no, um, and then to say, where is the bathroom, the restroom in Spanish? It would be in, ¿Dónde está el baño? Where is the bathroom? And ¿Dónde está el baño? ¿Dónde está el baño? There you go. I think I learned that in high school Spanish, too. Yeah. I remember, yeah. like, a teacher would make us raise our hand and ask if we'd use the restroom. People randomly saying, ¿Dónde está la biblioteca? And I think it's, like, oh, from yeah. some movie or something, but it's, like, basically the same premise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Luis, did you want to practice saying? Mini hiwas atenwas. Yeah. No, the yeah. Spanish one. Yeah. Oh, the Spanish one. Oh. <laughs> I don't need practice for that one. <laughs> you said you could speak Spanish, but we we don't know for yeah. a fact. No, right. And ¿Dónde está el baño? There we go. There we go. Uh, pronunciation is important for me because people, right, growing up in, in that Valley district, I remember that they started calling me Luis and I'm like, that's not my name. And no one, <laughs> no one could or would say Luis. So I ended up going by a different name all through high school. And that's not even yeah. a hard one to say, Luis. It's, it's really not. But yeah, like Luis just bothers me. That bothers yeah, so, me too. <laughs> yeah, so I always ask folks to, when they're pronouncing their own names, it's really important for me to get it right. So yeah. I'll ask them to keep saying it until I can say it the same way they do. Good. And it's such a sign of respect, though. Um, when someone says, do you have a nickname or is there like a shorter <laughs> thing? I'm like, no, yeah. not right. for you. <laughs> to my close friends, I'm Javi. But if someone says that to me, I'm like, it's Javier. Now I'm going to go <laughs> extra accent here. <laughs> oh, your other nickname. <laughs> no, I don't have another. <laughs> Daniel and I were talking about Latino nicknames and how they can uh, speak to your insecurities a little bit. Because <laughs> we're oh, so mean in, in our, uh, you know, at least in my, in my uh, extended family. Family, the nicknames that we give people are like almost uh, things yeah. about you know it's like a nickname based off of like a character feature and sometimes <laughs> that can be that can be a lot so we have a cousin named el flaco so like the skinny guy but he's not flaco anymore so it doesn't fit uh. <laughs> maybe no, i missed that episode does it have anything to do with your puffy vest Abby? no no but we all know what i do with those <laughs> Oh, that's right. It's Houdini. Houdini. <laughs> no. Um, all right. So let's switch gears. And now we're going to jump into our Shades of Brown Shady Questions round. So Luis, this is going to be your very first time with the Shady Question round, but it goes as follows. So we will ask three questions and all of us will have to answer them. You can skip one. Absolutely. If you would like, but if you are brave, you can answer all three. And sure. this segment came about because we just like to have fun. We like yeah. to throw a little shade, keep people on their toes, but also it brings some humor to sometimes uh, heavy topics in some mm -hmm. of our episodes. So I'm excited for this. I always actually am one of the ones who sweats and has to like <laughs> reel Daniel back in on some of the questions <laughs> because I'm like, hold up now. I work I'm, in higher ed. <laughs> I I've had a few that never made it to air. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hold up. My family's listening. I can't answer that. Uh, no, but but these are always fun. So uh, are we ready to start? We're all ready? Yeah. I'm ready. Okay. So the three questions we have today for our uh, participants today is uh, which sister or brother-in-law cannot keep a secret? Which sibling is the favorite out of the ones in your family for you and your siblings? Mm -hmm. And then which family, which family member is always late? Oh. Okay. So who <laughs> would like to start? Um, I guess I can go. Yeah. 
Uh, so for me, which sister or brother-in-law can't keep a secret? Well, I only have one brother-in-law. One of my sisters, I only have one sister that's married. Oh, so um, it's him? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, he's actually, uh, I think I could tell him a secret and he would keep it. He's pretty, I've, he's been my brother-in-law since I was like... Oh, maybe eight or nine. He's, okay, he's, so he saw you grow yeah, up too. Yeah, yeah. So okay. he, I would definitely trust him with a secret. Um, but yeah, so other, I don't have any other. So he's not a gossip. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. uh, well, you said I think so, Daniel. You're gonna have to test that hypothesis yeah, and yeah, you can report on it next show. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, which sibling is the family favorite? That's a tough one because I feel like I want to say Loretta. But I also want to say my youngest sister, Betsy. Oh. There's things that Betsy can get away with with our parents that we probably, the older siblings, can't. Yeah. But then again, Loretta's always kind of been, seems like my mom's. I think actually one time my mom actually told us that Loretta was her favorite. <laughs> I can't remember. But Did she have liquid courage in her? I don't know. I just, I, I want to say I remember that somewhere. But And which family member is always late? Um. I would have to just say me. I am not good with time. Obviously, with today's even today's recording, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would probably say not the yeah. best of time. Okay, that's fair. Very self-aware. That's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah, okay. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Luis, you want to go next? Yeah, yeah, I can go next. Um, you know, I don't know if I've necessarily really told secrets to. Well, actually, you know what? Maybe, uh, maybe my uh, my little sister would be the one that can't keep a secret because. I honestly don't recall sharing secrets with my family all that often, if ever. And I, oh. I kind of shared one with, with my little sister the other day. And she was like laying it all out there at the Thanksgiving table <laughs> for like the whole family. <laughs> I was kind of like looking at her like, can I come at that? I'll embarrass yeah. you. <laughs> right? Like, that was fun. But um, for the next one, it's like, who's the favorite? Yeah, I think that's me too, for sure, as the <laughs> oldest in the family. And, and in fact, I was kind of uh, flaunting that at Thanksgiving as well. One of my cousins had put on this video in Instagram, and it's of this, like, this, this mom who's, like, all sick, and she's drinking this hot tea with one of her other kids. And then it, it cuts to a different scene where the other son is like running into the house and he whistles and then she's like all of a sudden she like just jumps up and she's like oh, i'm equal like oh my son like he's here like i'm all better now <laughs> so i was showing that to the family and they're like uh-huh yep yep that's you <laughs> there's no resentment there <laughs> no not at all <laughs> and then for the last one um Who's always late? Oh, yeah, that's pretty obvious, too. It's the brother, the brother that's right after me, my brother Juan. Like, I don't even recall what time he showed up for Thanksgiving, but it was no surprise <laughs> either. I'm like, why didn't someone tell him at this other time so he would have shown up on time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I always, especially with the late, because I have one, too, and I know which one I'm going to say, but I always wonder, like, what it is about that you know like why are you perpetually late i don't get it i have no idea you know at one time he used to say oh it's because i have to get the kids ready you know and that was when they were still like in diapers and the car seats and everything i'm like man these kids are in school now they can feed themselves they can like throw themselves in the car what's the deal yeah no i yes i'm there with you with that one i'm like i'm wondering what it is uh so for me what sister brother-in-law cannot keep a secret i i'm not gonna cop out of this this question but i just feel like they can all hold a secret mm -hmm. like 
My, my sister-in-law Loops keeps a secret. My sister-in-law Chavs keeps a secret. I will wholeheartedly drop any kind of secret on them because I know they would hold it. Like, I, I generally feel that way about it. So I, I guess I'm lucky in that way because I know not a lot of families have that. Um, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, what sibling is the favorite out of, like, us? Uh... I know who my siblings think my mom's favorite is, uh, and that would probably be me. But I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't see it. I. I mean, I can see like maybe why, but I. I don't. I don't think that's the case. But I feel like kids that are the favorites might say that. They might not be as like gloaty as Luis about it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for my dad, I think that. Um, we all think it's Christian. Christian's the favorite. Um, but I feel like my dad and Lalo click a lot. Like, they have more things in common. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of <laughs> up in the air for me. I guess, uh, yeah. So, allegedly, I am for my mom, and allegedly, Christian is for my dad. So, I don't know. Um, and then, which family member is always late? That would be my brother, Lalo, the second oldest. So, maybe it's a second oldest thing there with the, <laughs> <laughs> funny. With the siblings. But, yeah, no. Like, anytime we're we're out, he's the one we got to be like, bro, please, be on time this time. Or, like, <laughs> people will tell him 30 minutes earlier. Um just because it's always it's always him, and I don't know why. I don't know why he's the late one. So there you go. Yeah, sometimes time is just it just doesn't work. Yeah, I always say time is a colonial construct. You know, natives didn't <laughs> yeah. have time back then, so I'm like. I show up when creator wants me to show yeah. up. <laughs> I was actually talking to one of my coworkers about that not too long ago. And I said, hey, like, time is important and de- definitely being punctual. There's a there's a piece to that. But I, I think when I show up, I'm just more focused in being in the moment. So I don't care what time I show up. I just care about being in that space. So that's how I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> excuse myself for being late. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so... Well, I think, yeah, that wraps up everything for today. Um, again, thanks for your time and coming on to the podcast. Uh, definitely appreciate it. And um, thanks for also being patient with us with yeah, our time yeah, today. Yeah. So. yeah, no problem. Yeah, we appreciate you being vulnerable. We appreciate you mm-hmm. sa- sharing your insight. We want to... Um, you know, just let you know that at the Brown Sound, with the work that Daniel and I are trying to do, we really are trying to find people that are doing everything they can to help uplift our communities. And you're definitely one of those people, Luis. Um, so to wrap up, if someone wanted to continue to connect with you or work with you, um, learn more about the work that you're doing, is there any way that they can connect with you? Uh, yeah, probably the best way is just to look me up on LinkedIn under Luis Caloca. Caloca is a very unique last name. Uh, I think I've only come across maybe two families in the state of Idaho under that name. Oh, wow. My family and then a random family up north. Uh, but yeah, there aren't Calocas around. Um, no. If you don't have a LinkedIn, oh, that's fine you can also reach out to me by email it's just luis.galoca at gmail.com okay all right well uh last parting words luis you're always welcome to come back Mm -hmm. so open invitation to the brown sound and for everybody else thanks so much for tuning in a friendly reminder if you haven't yet make sure to follow us on the brown sound uh instagram account brown sound podcast and you can always stream us through spotify or apple podcast so we will see you next time Adios. See you later. Also, before we go, if you're feeling in your heart, give us a five star rating. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
Absolutely. See you later. (laughs) Cut the IO for listening to the Brown Sound Podcast. We've had a blast with you all today. Make sure to tune in next time. To follow us more closely, you can check us out on Instagram at the Brown Sound Podcast. For partnership opportunities or if you just want to get a hold of us, make sure to email us at thebrownsoundpodcast208 at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at brownsoundpodcast. Disclaimer. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and the hosts only. 